The Tennis Game Win Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast and are presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today and bet $100 to get an extra $100 at sportsgamepodcast.com slash winbet, thesportsgamepodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-D-E-T. State restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the D-Gen Dance. Our March Madness bankroll contest is back. Free to enter and $1,000 in cash prizes up for grabs plus we've got first half under bingo enter both contests on the sgpn app and welcome everybody to the tennis gambling podcast here in the sports game podcast network i'm your host as always scott rachel once again going solo for this pod it is currently very very early sunday morning march 12th and it is time to get into the round of 32 in indian wells so before i get into any of the previews do have a couple of things i want to take care of first First of all, do want to have a brief announcement, which is the fact that even though I will be covering the Monday matches as well, full disclosure, I do not have betting lines on most of those matches. For whatever reason, they just have not posted them besides the ex- a couple of exceptions. I see the Draper and Murray match has a line, and I see the Molkan Fuksovics match has a line. I don't see anything else. I don't know why it hasn't been posted, because a lot of those matches ended several hours ago. But for whatever reason, I really only have the Sunday lines to work with. So for the lock and dog later on in the show, it will be Sunday matches because I really don't have a choice. So just keep that in mind. But I do want to also recap what I have saw in the round of 32, and I'll kind of stick with that format that we used for the last episode give my takeaways from the previous round on individual players and what I've seen from the court conditions, and then I'll transition over into some match previews. No specific order or rhyme or reason. Most of just matches that I'm tempted by or intrigued by, and I'll go through them from a betting perspective. But got to do what we always do, which is recap how we did on the last episode. And overall, we did okay. Ended up splitting the lock and dog. We won the lock, which was the under 20 and a half games in the Medvedev and Nakashima match. And that ended up landing 19. So nice winner there. And it was a little bit nerve wracking at the end where Medvedev had to fight off a couple of break points in the second set. But at the end of the day, Medvedev uh, held, did not get broken in the entire match. And he ended up winning and it went under. So Nakashima tried, had a moment there where he played well for about a game and a half. But Medvedev really dictated most of the points uh, with his ability to keep every shot in play. Couple issues on some overheads he failed to put away, but Nakashima just got worn down as time went on. And Medvedev, after holding in very, very tough fashion, ended up breaking to win the match. And if you actually remember the exact breakdown of the podcast, if you don't, or of the match in the last podcast, if you don't, you can actually check the podcast after this. And I stated exactly that Medvedev, I thought, would win 6 4 6 3. And he won 6-4-6-3. Now, I don't know what the exact payout would have been on that exact score, but it feels kind of cool to guess the score correctly. But either way, ended up winning on that one. Then we did pick up a loss with the over two and a half sets in the Fakina and Yibbing match. The match was competitive early on, and then you had the weather delay. And once that happened, Yibbing got smacked once they came back onto the court. And Fakina looked very dialed in. Looked at the better player throughout and ended up winning in straight sets. So a bit of a bad read there happens. I was kind of gambling on Fakina's unpredictability, and we really didn't see much of it. Uh, He looked very sharp, and 
he was able to hold relatively easily the entire match, and Yibbing not so much. So ended up splitting, and we'll look for a sweep here on Sunday. As for the outrights, ended up doing pretty well. Uh, nothing really to recap. All of our outrights are still alive. Murray won again as he ended up beating Albert. I thought his match against Busta would be interesting, and then Busta dropped for probably injury reasons. So he ended up having a lucky loser in his draw, and Murray actually won in straight sets. Congratulations. I know you're used to seeing Murray winning in three, but he won a lot more easily, and he's going to need the extra rest for his legs there because he's got a matchup against Draper in the All-British Affair taking place on Monday. But... Other than that, though, do want to quickly talk about some takeaways that I had from the round of 32. But I mentioned Murray because we have the quarter outright, and that's technically still alive. I'm not sure he's going to get past Draper, but still. And all the other stuff we still have, we haven't lost anything. So that's a good sign when you're two rounds in and all your outrights are still alive. So hopefully it stays that way, at least for another round. But either way, uh, talking about my... Uh, takeaways from the matches. I'll go through them by actual day to make it easier for organization purposes. So starting off on the Friday breakdown, uh, my main takeaways. Medvedev still looked good. Thought he was a bit vulnerable with the serve on occasion and the unforced errors with the overhead I thought were weird. But he looked fine and he ended up winning in straight sets again. Berrettini's got a serious problem on his hands and I'm not sure if it's based on him maybe not being totally focused on tennis. We saw him end up retiring mid-match against Rune in Acapulco. And then against Daniel, he ended up losing the first set 7-6, then won the second set 6-0. And you thought, okay, Berrettini's found his groove. He's going to figure it out, and he's going to win the match. And then Daniel beat him. In fact, Berrettini went down an immediate break in the third set and ended up losing. But I don't know if it's a lack of overall commitment to tennis. I don't know if it's a lack of just a proper backhand, which has been an issue with him for a couple of years. But Berrettini was a guy who was one match away from winning a Grand Slam in that Wimbledon final against Djokovic. Then he was also on the Netflix special Breakpoint, and they did a whole thing about him. It seems like his priorities are not entirely on tennis, in my opinion. And I think that as a result, I can't take him seriously in future tournaments unless it's on grass. On grass, the serve and the forehand are good enough to actually win a tournament or two. But for hard courts and for clay, besides the injuries that he's had to deal with and really everything that comes with it with his flaws in the game because of his backhand, which has been exploited time and time again, I really have questions about his mental commitment to the sport. And as a result, Berrettini is not going to be a guy you're going to hear me backing in outrights for a long time because I can't trust him. Grass season, maybe I'll reconsider. But for now, on hardcore and clay season, no, I'm not interested in Berrettini. So kind of wanted to mention that. Chapo, it's not even for a lack of overall commitment. He's just a, an extremely volatile player. And he will always hit unforced errors. Umber had a very nice showing there. He was down a break early in the second set and ended up coming back to win that one as he won in straight sets. So nice job by Umber. I know he also had roughly a four-hour match in the Challenger final, I think, over the weekend. Four hours in a three-set match is absolutely insane, but that happened. And I kind of want to see highlights from that match, but I didn't, ended up not seeing any. So I'll look at it probably on YouTube after this. But... Uh, overall, good for him. Shapo, though, continues to do Shapo things, and there you go. Besides that, I already mentioned Fakina. I thought he looked very good. Uh, Tabillo beat Cressy. 
Nothing really to take away from that. Great tiebreaker at 15-13 in the second set. Cressy, I thought. I, I wasn't exactly sure how he would look with the serve and volley since the courts are playing slower, which which would allow him to get closer to the net. But on the other hand, we saw him in Montpierre uh, thrive with a fast, hard court. I think we all know he needs the faster, hard court. So I'm not exactly surprised Cressy lost, but I'm definitely not surprised that each set went to a tie break. Uh, besides that, Dimitrov got injured. And he ended up retiring in the third set against Kubler. Nothing else to add. You know my opinions on Dimitrov. It's well documented up to this point. Not exactly surprised. And then you have the big shock from the Friday schedule, which was the Sitsipas loss to Jordan Thompson. And Thompson, I, of course, am grateful that he was able to beat up on Monfi in Monfi's first match back. And we made up some money there as a lock a couple episodes ago. But I really didn't think Sitsipas was going to lose that match. And I thought that Thompson would maybe make the sets competitive, like a 7-6-6-4, kind of. I just expected Sitsipas to win each of the first two sets, and that did not happen. Thompson won the first set 7-6 with the full skunking in the tiebreaker, won 7 nothing in the tiebreak. Then Sitsipas won the second set 6-4, and then you saw Thompson win the third set 7-6. So Thompson did a great job in tiebreakers, and good for him. But Tsitsipas, I know I initially leaned to him as an outright, and then the last second I changed my mind. I think I still technically actually gave him out for the quarter, so I actually take it back. I think I did have an outright that lost, but it was a kind of a minor one. But the point is, Tsitsipas is a guy who had a great run at the Australian Open. Besides that, he really hasn't done much recently, and Thompson beat him. So Tsitsipas also said he was below 100%, according to some quotes just health-wise. I don't know if I believe him, but there were some rumors circulating about it, so I can't say I'm totally shocked. And Sitsipas, either, I don't remember if he said that before or after the match, but the point is we ended up pivoting off of Sitsipas to win the tournament, and we were right to do so, but the quarter outright still went up in flames. Besides that, uh, Rude looked good, beat Schwartzman. It was fun while it lasted with Schwartzman. He looked very good for one match against Coria, who's a clay court specialist, and then Schwartzman got smacked again. So I guess we're right back to where we were about a week ago. Besides that, nothing else uh, really to add. Nishioka, I wasn't impressed by the just effort in the second set. It looked like he basically punted the last service game. He just wanted to get out of there. And then you had Avashka beating Zanschulp, who got injured. Nothing really more to add there. Uh, but that's kind of going to wrap it up. I didn't mention Zverev, who looked good, but I'm also not a fan of catching, so I'm not exactly sold on anything from that from that match and yeah that's i don't really have much more to add if i forgot about your favorite player i'm sorry but i mentioned about 80 percent of the players that did play uh moving on to the saturday breakdown overall my main takeaways i thought ruble looked really good i was worried about fatigue after he had been playing a bunch of tennis including the final in dubai last saturday but he looked very good against, against lushika got revenge in uh from doha and won in straight sets I believe he was down, trying to remember what he was down. He was down, I think it was, was it 2 nothing in the second set? And he won the final six games, I think. Yeah, he was down 2 nothing in the second set, and then he ended up winning the final six games. So he looked very good. Drapers looked really good. I mentioned that briefly before, but I had concerns with him dealing with the leg injury from the Australian Open, and I was worried about how he would look following the layoff, and he's looked amazing. I thought he would beat Evans, because Evans has really not been good in 2023, but Drapers looked very comfortable, so I'll keep an eye on him moving forward. Uh, Tiafa looked good. I thought Giron would give him more of an F, a more of a struggle, but I thought Tiafa would win the match, and Tiafa did, but it was a lot more comfortable than I thought. Uh, my main takeaway from where I was wrong was fading the 
guys who were playing in Acapulco last week. Now, it worked for Diminor, and Diminor was favored against Fuksovic, and he got smacked. But you're looking at Tommy Paul. He looked comfortable, 1-6-3-6-3. You're looking at Rune. He looked good. He won in straight sets against McDonald. And Fritz was kind of hit or miss there. I wasn't surprised the match against Shelton was close. But Fritz did come back from a set down, and he won in three. So, so far, the Acapulco guys have actually looked pretty good, with the exception of Diminor. So, it is what it is. But if you ended up fading all of the Acapulco guys... I don't think Fritz covered the spread. I don't think the spread would have been three in that match. So you might have actually made some money on Shelton there. And you would have made money on Fuxovic's money line out of plus price against Diminor. But as for the other guys, I don't think you would have made money fading them. Paul, definitely not. Ru- uh, Rune, I don't know what the total was. Uh, you might have made money on the over because it was 7-5 in the first set. But overall, not exactly a great... Uh, decision fade the Acapulco guys, but I thought it was warranted based on how physically spent they were. And we'll see if their health can hold up over the rest of the tournament. Besides that, um, Sock lost again. What else is new? Yeah, uh, he should play doubles exclusively at this stage in his career. Besides that, Manorino ended up beating Musetti. I thought Manorino would end up having a good opportunity to beat Musetti because uh, Musetti has been horrible lately and Manorino has been solid. So, uh, Manorino, I wasn't surprised, especially at plus money. I thought it was ridiculous. Musetti was favored in that match. Herc has looked good. I thought Baez would have a good chance at a plus money price. He won. Alcaraz looked really good. That was another main takeaway. Uh, Alcaraz, I was worried about him coming back prematurely from the injury, and he looked great. Uh, he looked really dialed in, and Kokonakis really never stood a chance. So nice job by him. Uh, Sinner was fine. Felix struggled early, but he ended up winning anyway. Massive favorite, so he could have looked better, but he was fine. And Walrenka beat Kekmanovic. Thought that might go three sets. I think it had a good chance to go three sets, but eventually it ended up 7-6-6-4. But that's really all i got to recap. Not much to go through. No real upsets to speak of up to this point. If there were, then I mentioned them with Tsitsipas, etc. But for the most part, I don't. Ex- I wasn't exactly shocked by much else, and we'll see what happens moving forward. But now, time, now it is time to get into the actual matches for Sunday and Monday. Once again, pretty limited on the Monday breakdown because I don't have any betting lines for most of the matches. But dealing with the Sunday matches here, starting off with the Nori match against Daniel. Daniel has done well in the head-to-head. In fact, is undefeated against Nori in their careers. Now, the problem with that is that context matters because they have not played in a long time. In fact, they have not played since 2018. And Daniel won in 2017 in Maui, and he also won in Indian Wells, this exact tournament back in 2018, where Daniel ended up winning in three sets. Simply put, Daniel has had two impressive wins lately uh, when he ended up beating Rude and Acapulco. Rude was not playing well, but still a nice win. Also beat JJ Wolf before that, but Wolf's kind of been a mess lately. And beat Berrettini in the matchup against Barrett. Uh, yeah, beat Berrettini in that matchup on Friday night. But the point is, at the end of the day, you're looking at a guy who still doesn't exactly have many weapons. And I do think that the core conditions benefit Nori more. Nori had a much easier match because he ended up going up against. A relative unknown, instead of Bublik, as Bublik ended up tripping on himself early in the event, and uh, Nori was a massive favorite, and he won comfortably. So, Nori should be the more rested guy. Uh, Daniel also had to go through qualifying, so he ended up having to beat Papyron, which went three. His first qualifying match went three. 
So, so far, Daniels played four matches in Indian Wells, and he also played in Acapulco. And the three matches in Indian Wells out of the four have gone to three sets. So I think fatigue's going to be an issue in this match. And Nori, on the other hand, got to match up against a relative unknown 1-6-2-6-4. And he has not played since he, for a while since he ended up not playing in Acapulco like I thought he might. But the point is, I think Nori's going to win in straight sets. I just think at the end of the day, I can't factor that much in to the head-to-head when they haven't played in roughly five years. So that doesn't mean anything to me. Nori's really just shot up in the rankings over the last two years or so. So I think he's a completely different player. And I do think that the overall court conditions are more favorable for Nori. And I do think that if you're asking which player is more likely to hit unforced errors in a 30-plus shot rally, I would tell you it would be Daniel. So I do think that Nori has an advantage. And with the fatigue issues, that could be a problem for Daniel moving forward. I see Nori minus one and a half sets at around minus 125, which I am tempted by. I think that he should win this one in straight sets. But I'm also high on on Nori in general because he is the he is a former uh, champion of this event. And on top of that, he is a guy that we talked about as an outright to win the entire event. So, you know, I was already going to be high on him uh, going into this event and nothing really changed. He looked very good in the first round match that he had. So either way, uh, moving on to the next match that I'm kind of tempted by. Once again, I'm going to pick and choose here. Uh, Kakanov and Fakina, I think, is a very, very fascinating match. Uh, They played once in their careers. They played on hard court, and Fakina ended up winning in three sets uh, back in, I believe it was 2020. Uh, But you ended up seeing... Uh, that match go three. Fakina won the first set, then lost the second set, then won the third set. And it was a lot of breaks in that match. But based on recent form, I probably would lean to Fakina. Fakina, I didn't fade him against Yibbing, but I thought that Yibbing would give him a run for his money because I, truth is, I think I just overrated Yibbing. And I was really focused on his stock after Dallas that I probably didn't account to the rust enough since he had not played since that event. And Fakina has been playing a lot, but he should have beaten Rublev in Dubai. He ended up losing a competitive match to Felix, be Quan in straight sets, be less TN, took Medvedev to three, which was impressive. So he's been playing good tennis so far in 2023. Kakanov has really not been playing much. Now, he did make the deep run in the Australian Open, but since then, he lost to Zanschulp in straight sets in Dubai, and then he beat uh, Atta. And Atta has been battling some injuries recently. The consistency hasn't been there, and Atta also. Uh, lost early in the Australian Open. So he's really not been good in 2023. So I'm not sure how much faith I actually have in Kakanov based on current form. And based on the current price, I think there actually is some value on Fakina Moneyline at around plus 115. I just think that Kakanov is a player who we know can be a little bit shaky at times, especially with the unforced errors. I think both players have that in common. I maybe wouldn't mind the over in this match as well. I can see a three-set match here but I do think I'm going to take Fakina on the money line. You have the guy who is 1-0 in the head-to-head. It was on hard court. And you have a guy who's been playing a lot of tennis lately compared to a guy who took a lot of time off since the Australian Open and has looked pretty meh since then. So I think that there's some value on Fakina, and I think there's some value on the over. Besides that, uh, looking at Rusevori versus Zverev, you have Zverev as a massive favorite here at around minus 300 or so. Uh, besides that, you do have Rusevori, who could potentially make a, this match competitive if he is able to 
keep down the unforced errors and use the firepower to move Zverevol over the court. Do I think he'll be able to do that? Probably not. But if you want to look at the head-to-head between these guys, Rusevori is 1-0. They played in Miami in 2021. Zverev won the first set 6-1, and then he completely fell apart. Rusevori won the final two sets 6-3, 6-1. So, long time ago, but I am going to bring it up. Zverev had a good performance against Kachin, but Kachin, I said before, not a fan. And Rusevori beat Les Tien and Batista Agut. I've mentioned Batista Agut being past his prime, but still a nice win, I guess. I think Zverev will probably win. I like the form he's been in. I still don't think that he's anywhere near as good as he's priced to win to win actual tournaments. But for the sake of the first couple rounds, I do think that he should be able to get past Rusevori. I'm not sure about the straight sets or not. I think Rusevori could win a set. So I probably would lean to the over. But for the most part, I really don't have much for this match. Besides that, you have Medvedev against Avashka. For this matchup, I actually don't mind uh, potentially looking at some Avashka plays here. I'm not picking him to win the match. I'm not a lunatic. However, if you look at the head-to-head between these guys, it actually had been pretty competitive. And to go through the head-to-head, which I already have in front of me, so to look at the numbers, Medvedev has been very good in the head-to-head. In fact, he's 6-1 and one in the head-to-head. However, each of those matches have been close. Uh, to go through the matches in order, they played on grass twice in 2022. Medvedev won each of those, 7-6-6-3 and 7-6-6-4. So two competitive matches. They played in the Masters 1000 on hard court in 2021. Medvedev won 7-5-6-4. And they played in 2018 on hard court in the Davis Cup. And Avashka actually won that one, 7-6-6-4. And they played a couple of times in like qualifying and challenger and future events in 2016. And all three of those matches went three sets. So that was a long time ago, but the point is Avashka... Historically speaking, has actually been a bit of a difficult matchup for Medvedev. He's won in the end, but you have seen a decent amount of tie breaks and a decent amount of long sets. And the total number of games in this match is very low. And it's a lot, a lot of it has to do with the fact that Medvedev is Medvedev, and I get all that. But it's 18 and a half. Uh, Vashka, you can get six and a half games at like minus 125, minus 130. I don't necessarily mind that. I think Avashka could keep this match competitive. Medvedev, like I said, he cashed us a lock last podcast. Did he look amazing in that match? Not really. He looked good enough, but he was kind of wavering a little bit down the stretch, and I wasn't sure if that was fatigue-based or what exactly was going on or if maybe he was battling a leg issue. But the point is Medvedev, I think, is going to obviously win the match, but I think Avashka can actually give Medvedev some problems because, historically speaking, he has given Medvedev a bit of a let's just say, a struggle or a bit of a decent contest. And I don't exactly expect this to be one-way traffic. So I actually would lean to Avashka, potentially plus the six and a half games and the over in that one. Uh, for, besides that, though, uh, you have... I don't think I have really have much more to add. Uh, you could talk about Umber, Rublev. I don't have much in that match. Uh, Tiafo Kubor. I guess I would lean Tiafo in straight sets, but I don't trust Tiafo enough. So I'm not exactly going to bet that either. I think that's going to wrap it up for my takeaways for the Sunday matches. Now, moving on to the Monday matches. Once again, no exact odds available for most of these matches, so bear with me. But to look at the odds that we actually do have, uh, starting off with the first match, you have Fuksovics taking on Molkan. This will be the first time they've ever faced off against each other. Molkan did look very good in the first round as he was able to to beat up on Chorich, 6-3, 6-3. Sorry, second round, he also ended up beating uh, Ramos Vinolas in the round of 128. Uh, you also have Fuksovics, who we had the over two and a half sets against Wolf, came back and won that match, and then dominated Diminor. 
I don't have much on that match, in my opinion. I probably would lean to Fuksovics, but I really don't have much, so I'm going to stay away from that one. And the other one that we have a line on is Draper against Murray. Draper minus one game is minus 135 or so. Murray plus one game is plus 114. And for the money line, Murray is plus 140. Draper is minus 160. The over-under is 22 and a half games. And if you also want to look for the over-under in sets... Uh, sorry, let me just pull that up really quickly. Some books have it, some books don't, so I, I'm going to have to scramble a little bit in order to find some of these props. So if you want to take the over two and a half sets, you can get that at plus 120. So in the head-to-head, Murray's 1-0. It was an exhibition match. Doesn't mean anything. Based on form in this event, I got to go with Draper. I know that I have Murray to win the quarter hypothetically at 11-1. to It was more of just, you know, a, an actual value play if Alcaraz didn't look sharp and whatever. So I'm not sure if it's going to matter in the end. But the point is, I do think Murray has looked fine in this event. Echeverry's more of a clay guy, and that match was a war, and Albert's not very good. So I didn't really have much to take away from that match in particular. But Draper has looked really sharp, and I do think his movement and his willingness to keep the ball in play is going to help. He's also a lefty, which might take some adjusting uh, for Murray to do. But the point is, I think Draper's going to win this match. I just think that he's in better form. He's younger. And even though Murray finally went two sets and not three, I do trust the younger guy uh, to have moments of pushing the older guy around the court. Murray still had some unforced errors here and there. Draper's pretty consistent. And it looks like the court conditions have been perfect for his style of play. And as a result, I'm going to go with Draper to win that one. I'll take the minus one games, though, at minus 134, uh, but or minus 135, I mean. But to look at uh, anything else for the matches here, once again, don't have odds on the rest of them, but I'll still break them down. couple of good matches. You have Alcaraz against Greek Sport. Alcaraz will be a massive favorite. I'm not going to touch it because I don't think there's any value on it. Alcaraz probably wins in straight sets, but... I guess if I was going to play it, maybe the under if it was like 20 and a half, but I don't think it would be 20 and a half. So I'm going to pass on that one. Uh, Fritz against Baez. I'm going to take Fritz. I liked Baez against Hitchikata, but that's mostly because I thought Hitchikata should not have been that big of a favorite. And Baez, despite being a clay court, I don't want to call him a specialist, but that's his best surface. He's still a good player. And he gave Alcaraz a bit of a run for his money in the U.S. Open. I believe last year he ended up getting injured in that match, but those sets were competitive. So I know that Baez is capable of putting together some good performances on hardcore. But the problem is Fritz has the home crowd advantage. He's the defending champion. And on top of that, he also is just a guy whose weapons are going to be a little bit much for Baez to handle. And yes, the court is playing slower. So perhaps Baez won't get aced as much, but Fritz is a lot taller. He's got a big serve. He also has a decent kicker and slice serve. And I'm concerned with Baez's short frame that he's going to have a hard time of actually breaking in this match. And Baez has a decent serve for a shorter guy, but he's still not a great server by any means. And I think Fritz will be able to have uh, moments in this match where he should be able to in- to apply a lot of pressure to the service games here. And I think as a result, they're going to end up seeing a situation where Fritz probably gets a break in each set. I'm not sure I can say the same about the likes of uh, Baez, and I think you'll end up seeing uh, really just a pretty straightforward win for Fritz. Maybe it gets interesting at some point 
in a set where Bias has a break point or two, but I'm not sure Bias is going to be able to defend his serve, especially if Fritz is able to generate a lot of power on the forehand side and make Bias run around the court, maybe sneak in for some some volleys. I think he probably wins in straight sets, so I'm not going to play that. The Herkaz Paul match, I think, is very good. And if you're looking at the head-to-head, Herkaz is 3-0. Now, they played a couple of times in 2020, and that was first to four in each set, and Herkaz looked pretty comfortable in those. They played in Paris, though, in 2021. Herkaz won 7-5, 7-6. He looked good against Papyron. Papyron was a lucky loser in the event, though, so he arguably shouldn't have been there. Paul looked good against Struff. It's a really tricky match for me. I'm going to lean to the over in this one. I think you'll see a three-setter, so I think you'll probably see both players at moments. Paul will have the home court advantage, but Herkaz has the head-to-head advantage. I can see Herkaz going to a breaker or two, but Paul has been solid, and I do think that the injury concerns or stamina concerns from Acapulco seem to not be a big deal, and I might have overblown those concerns. So I like the over in that one. I think you'll probably see a close match. I think I'll lean to Herkaz in three, but I think I'd rather just take the over. Uh, besides that, you have Sinner against Manorino. I think Sinner is going to win pretty comfortably. I feel like Gasquet is a pretty decent guy to get you prepared for Manorino. It's not the exact same, but it's kind of similar. Not much power. Uh, Gasquet has more power, but still, it's mostly just long rallies, and Manorino's not a great server. I think that you'll see Sinner win that match comfortably as well. And then you have the Warrenko-Rune match, uh, which will be... Potentially the late match, we'll see. They haven't officially announced the start times of the matches yet. Now, Rune did win in Paris in 2022, but he did lose the first set and then ended up winning the final two sets, 7-5, 7-6. Warenkos looked pretty good in this event. Ended up beating, uh, I mentioned it before, but he ended up beating uh, Kekmanovic yesterday. Ended up beating Vukic in the first round in three I think Rune is going to win, but I don't see much value here. I don't really see much. So once again, don't exactly have many lines available for the Monday matches, but it is what it is. Uh, just wanted to go through those. But now it's time to get into the lock and dog segment. But before we get into any of that, I want to have a quick word from our sponsors. WinBet is the official online sportsbook of the SportsCam Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there are a ton of ways to win, including live betting and same-game parlays, a.k.a. WinBet's Build Your Own Bet. March Madness is almost here, plus there are a ton of ways to bet on the NBA, NHL, and XFL. Sign up today to receive a special offer, bet $100, and get an extra $100 with the state availability. And of course, for our DGENs out there, if you hit the biggest long shot parlay of the week, you get a $1,000 free credit as a bonus. Very solid promo. Uh, plus, there's so much to choose from. All you have to do is head over to sportscampodcast.com slash winbet, sportscampodcast.com slash W-I-N-N-D-E-T. Offer subject to change, term conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough women is available. If you or somebody you knows a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Plus, the D-Gen Dance, the March Madness Bankroll Contest is back. Free to enter and $1,000 in cash and prizes are up for grabs, courtesy of SGPN. Plus, we've got the first half under bingo, where you can win an SGPN gift card. Both contests are available on the SGPN app, so enter them before the tournament starts. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy is heating up for March Madness. College Pick'em is a great way to win and to get in on the action, especially if your bracket is busted after day one. Plus, Underdog Fantasy has your favorite college basketball player props. Head over to underdogfantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. It's underdogfantasy.com, promo code SGPN. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing some of the round of 32 matches taking place on Sunday and Monday. Did the best we could because we had no betting odds for Monday. But either way, time to get into the lock and dog picks. We've been good lately. I know we split last episode, but we did hit the lock, which is the most important thing. So overall, uh, time to hopefully sweep the board here. Starting off with the lock. First of all, a reminder, this is only going to be the Sunday matches because I didn't see much on the Monday matches. So starting off with the lock, I am going to go to that Medvedev and uh, Avashka match. And there are a couple of options here. So I like both. So it's kind of a double lock in a way, but it's really just one play. I'll talk about my favorite play first. And if you don't have that available, then I'll talk about some substitutes. So my lock for the show is going to be breaks of serve. And I'm going to take Ivashka to break Medvedev serve at least one time. And that is currently available at minus 138. And a couple reasons why I do like him to actually break Medvedev's serve at least once in this match. First reason, look at the actual head-to-head. I mentioned that Medvedev is 6-1 in the head-to-head. However, Ivashka has broken Medvedev in six of those seven matches. And the one exception was on grass in Hala when they played last year. And in that match, Ivashka had six break points. He went 0-6, so he had a lot of opportunities. They played on grass before that. And he broke twice, played in Paris in 2021, ended up breaking twice. They played in the Davis Cup in 2018, uh, and Avashka won that match. He ended up breaking. Uh, besides that, uh, you have a couple challenger matches. Avashka broke him four times, had 14 break points. Once again, it was a long time ago, so I'm not sure if you can put stock into it. But he broke him three times, the challenger match before that, and ended up uh breaking him at least one time in one of the matches in 2015 a long time ago. So no matter how far you go back, Avashka has always given Medvedev some issues with his return game. And Avashka's a very tall guy. I think he's gonna be able to get to a lot of Medvedev's overall serves and I think he can keep the ball in play. Now I'm worried about it might sound dangerous because Medvedev did not get broken in his last match against Nakashima. However, I mentioned that he was having to battle in a couple of service games, and he ended up having to fight off a couple of break points. He was even down a low 40 and a 15-40 in that match against Nakashima in separate service games, and he ended up holding each time. But Medvedev, to look at his actual numbers against Nakashima and to go through the break point chances that Nakashima had, so Nakashima ended up having... Six breakpoint chances went 0 for 6, but I do think that you'll end up seeing Avashka get into it at least one service game. I'd be shocked if he didn't have a single breakpoint here. I think he'll have at least one, probably closer to three or four, and I do think you'll end up seeing Avashka break at least once. And I think it's a great deal once he's, when you consider the fact that he's broken Medvedev in six of the seven career matches, and you can get one break at minus 138, I think it's a great deal. I'm going to take it. Now, to pivot, since I'm aware most books probably don't have that option available, instead I'm going to back him in another in another way. I'm going to take Ivashka team total over five and a half games at minus 140. In other words, I think he's going to keep this match somewhat competitive and respectable, and I think Medvedev's not going to completely blow him off the court. Medvedev is a great player. We I'm not going to you know, suddenly roast Medvedev because he cashed a lock for us and he's won like 15 matches in a row. But I'd at least have to point out that Avashka has the size and length to keep balls in play, decent server, 
if he holds serves six times, then you're good. And from what we've seen in the matches historically, besides breaking Medvedev on occasion in six of the seven matches that they played in the head-to-head, you have had each of the last five head-to-head matches have a set with at least 12 games in it. And if that's the case, you might be getting five games minimum in one set for Avashka. But even if he loses 6-3, 6-3, you win. Five and a half is very low with the head-to-head. I don't want to call it success, but the overall head-to-head history that these guys have with each other. So give me Avashka uh, to break Medvedev's serve at least once at minus 138. And if that's not available, then you can pivot to Avashka team total over five and a half games at minus 140. And for the dog in this show, I mentioned it before, but I am going to go back to it. It will be the Kakanov and Fakina match, and I am going to go with Fakina on the money line at plus 115. Simply put, can Kakanov win this match? Yes. I'm not saying that Kakanov is going to automatically get blown out, and I'm not saying that Fakina is going to mop the floor with him. However, he is 1-0 in the head-to-head. It was on hard court, and they go three sets, and it was kind of a coin flip match. And based on the lack of overall tennis and positive results that Kakanov has had since the Australian Open compared to what Fakina's done, I think Fakina's in better form. And Kakanov beat Atta, who was in miserable form uh, leading up to this event. Uh, so I'm not sure how much stock I put into that win, but he also lost to Zanschulp in straight sets. Those are, the only, those are the only two matches he's played since the Australian Open. Fakina's been busy, and he's been effective. Beat Gibbing 6-4, 6-1. Should have beaten Rublev once again in Dubai at five match points in the second set breaker. Ended up beating Jaziri comfortably, which means nothing, because Jaziri should have retired like five years ago. But had a war against Felix. Lost that one 6-4, 7-6. Beat Quan in straight sets. Beat Les Tien. Took a set off Medvedev in Rotterdam, which I think is really just a testament to how well he's been playing on hardcore, especially late, lately, after having a pretty underwhelming hardcore season last year. But the point is, I think that this match is kind of a coin flip, but I think Fakina is in better form. So I think plus 115 is just a pure value play for me. If you want to play it safe, I maybe wouldn't mind the over, but I do think Fakina is going to have moments to win this match. I think he'll win at least one set, and I'm hoping that he'll continue to look very sharp like he did in the first round against Yibbing. So... Once again, the lock and dog picks for the show. The lock, we kind of split it into two locks here. The main lock's going to be Avashka to break Medvedev's serve at least once at minus 138. And the pivot play, if that is not available, is going to be Avashka over five and a half personal games on a team total at minus 140. And the dog will be Fakina on the money line against Kakanov at plus 115. But that's going to wrap it up for the round of 32 breakdown here for Indian Wells. We're back once again on, uh, I'm trying to think of the dates here, uh, either Monday night or very early Tuesday morning for the round of 16. But until then, you can find me on Twitter, Rice Show Radio. You can also find me on the NBA Gambling Podcast and the NFL Gambling Podcast. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.